I think today it's easy to see everyone's highlight reel, right? Like, especially as a 24-year-old, you see with social media, you're always seeing everybody's victories, their success, their how, how great their life is going. And occasionally when something crazy traumatic happens, you hear about that. But overall, I feel like in today's times, I'm just constantly seeing everyone's success. And, you know, as I was praying and preparing for this, I just wanted to preach a message to you today called... If they only knew. If they only knew. Turn to the person next to you and say, if they only knew. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock. I'm going to get you talking a little bit today. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you have just wanted to say, dude, just chill out if you only knew what I had been through? Like, I, yeah, I'm seven minutes late. We were going to be at the nine. 30, uh, I'm still getting the time to figure it out, but it's 11, but if you only knew, that, you know, like, so there was this time, uh, I want to tell you a story, is that okay with you guys? Okay, cool, story time. Uh, we do this ministry called The Alternative, and it happens on Saturdays. On Friday, on Thursday we got a call, on Friday we headed to the airport, 5 in the morning to fly to LA. I'm a risk taker, so I love like these short little spurts, these fun little trips, and we were going to go meet with the pastor out there. We had this cool little opportunity in this short time window, right? So we were going to get there, meet with him, and fly back because we had to get back in time for our ministry on Saturday because all three of us were going to be speaking. So I was going with my buddy Luke, myself, Caleb, if you forgot, and then Carson. Now, I want to ask you this. How many of you uh, know that person and do not nudge, oh, please do not nudge the person next to you, that... If, it's, if, if you have written it into the Constitution of the United States that you've got to leave at 9.50, we are going to be rolling out about 9.55, 9.57. You know what I'm saying? Now, my buddy, he, he's that guy, okay? He, he's, the, he's the person who is going to be. So, anyway, we're flying to L.A. I'm like, guys, I'm the planner. I got it in NICAL. When we get there, we're going to parking spot. Parking spot. <laughs> we're going to parking spot H1. We've got it on the app. We're going to get in it. We're going to take Waze, the maps, on the iPhone. It's going to take us to the place we're going to meet, and we've got to leave by 3 o'clock. Me and Luke both look at Carson. Do you understand that, Carson? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. Everybody, we're good. So we're driving. You know, it takes about 30 minutes to get to the church. We meet. It's about 2.50. Everything's going good. I'm like, all right, everything's good. We're going to make the flight. You know, I'm checking in, bags, no bags, carry on, doing the whole thing, seeing where the gate is. And all of a sudden, 3 o'clock rings, and my other friend, who I'm not going to name, and whom I love deeply and is much more spiritual than I am, gets the opportunity to pray us out of this meeting. Now, how many of you have the aunt at Thanksgiving that when it's time to pray for the meal, we're blessing everybody that's ever been born. I mean, we, we started praying for, by name, every child who had ever had any appetite that was not fulfilled. We started praying for every nation, every, thanking God for every miracle he had ever done. I mean, this was one of those prayers, need to say the least. So now it's about 3.30, and we are getting in the car, and I'm sitting here going, Jesus. Now, if you've ever been in California, there's this interstate called the 405. And the 405 in the morning, <laughs> it sounds like somebody passed away in the section over here. Somebody goes, oh, 
Like, I don't know what your text was. That sounds horrible. The 405 is, is beautiful country. You know, actually, it's not country. It's the middle of L.A., but it's beautiful. It's cool. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's, it's hell on earth. And we got in the car, and what was a 30-minute drive had now turned into an hour-long drive. So I'm like, Jesus, look, I'm your, I'm your boy. Like, I know, I know we've had our moments, but I'm here for you. I came meet with the man of God out here. He's got a ministry thing going on tomorrow. And look, I know, remember Moses? Yeah, you remember him? Okay. Can you split, I know you split the red, can, without hurting anybody, could you either take the conviction away of driving in the emergency lane? Nope, not going to, okay, we will not do that, Lord. Will you split the Red Sea? Amen. And it was he's just like, no, man, no. So we get, we get back to the airport, and our flight is like, it's honestly, seriously, it's leaving in like 20 minutes. And so we drive over. Because my schedule was thrown off, you are like, where is this dude going with this story? We'll figure it out when we get there. I, my schedule was thrown off, so I had my water bottle. And you know when you're driving, normally you'd set the water bottle in the cup holder and screw the lid on. Can I get an Amen. Amen. I went to put the water bottle in between my legs so I could hold it, and I didn't put the water bottle lid on it. So um, we hit the little spikes. If you've rented a car, there's these spikes going into the air, airport, running out, go over, and water just, water then baptized my jeans from here to here. They were light-colored skinny jeans. And I didn't have time to change, so I get out of the car. We're sprinting onto the, the rental car bus. We get to the airport, and I, I did not think we were going to make it. We actually had to ask if we could cut the security line. We get there. I hear on the radio at the airport, Terminal 1, Stanley, party of three, you know, final boarding call, you know, the whole shenanigans. And I'm thinking, Lord, Usain Bolt, I, I'm about to Usain Bolt this L.A. terminal and sprint through this terminal. And I'm halfway through the terminal and it dawns on me that everyone else looking at me thinks that I, they're, not, they're not thinking I'm trying to catch my flight. I'll put it that way. They think that I have missed a prior appointment with the restroom. And all I can think about, let me tell you this before I forget, we made the flight. I always forget to say that. We made the flight. All I could think about running was... Man, if these people only knew, like if they, if they had any idea that my day started before 5 a.m., we flew out here, I have bladder control, like if they only knew this, it would be a different story. But the reality of that story is as humans, as people, as children of God, there are things in our lives that we often face and often deal with, and it's usually not pee on the pants. It's usually some deeper issues and some more crazy things that we can't control by changing an outfit. And we find ourselves in this place going, man, if they only knew, you know, what I had to deal with. If they, if they only knew what I, I had to go through. If they only knew how I was raised. If they only knew what that person did to me. If they only knew how that made me feel, then they might not look at me with that look they might not approach me the same way. Anybody, anybody feel me on that? You know, you just say, man, if they only knew. If they only knew what I went through. And uh, so there's a guy in the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5. If you got your Bible, you can turn to it or you can turn your head to the screen. Chapter 5, verse 1. I want to read to you this guy. I think he was saying the same thing. If they only knew, they only knew what I went through. 
Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, and he was highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a mighty warrior, one of the translations says. He was, he was a strong warrior. He was so, I, w- I want to give you uh, just a quick overview of Naaman. Naaman was a stud. You got it? He was like a celebrity. People loved Naaman. But he didn't just inherit this. This wasn't a dude who just inherited a lot of money. He didn't just inherit a position. Naaman worked from the ranks. He worked through the ranks, won battles, won trust, won honor. Like, he was really respected. His name actually means pleasant, beautiful, and delightful, which between me and you, as a mighty masculine warrior, I would go for something a little more fierce. But (laughs) Naaman's got the whole package, man. Like, when Naaman's walking out on the street in culture in this day, the ladies, they're like, "That's, that's Naaman. And they're, like, whispering. They're, like taking whatever kind of, they were like drawing pictures because they didn't have cameras together. Like, can we draw a picture together? Um, that's Naaman. And the guys, like, look, you guys are in here like, what a joke. You guys would have been like, man, I want to be like Naaman. Because he gets all the respect, right? He's got all the attention. And like, like he's got a wife. He's not, as far as I know, going doing this crazy stuff. Like, it's not that. He's just well-respected. And like as men, we, that's really what we want. We just want to be respected. We want to be trusted. Naaman's got it. But isn't it strange, though, even with those people today, we can relate to the people that weren't Naaman because we have Naamans that we want to be like. We say, no, nah, dude, I'm like totally confident in who I am. I am 45 years old, never want anything else. I'm happy. I've worked hard. I'm confident. Like, no, we all have this proclivity and this longing, this eagerness in our heart to be like somebody else. Or to, if we can get there, I'll be happy. Can we be honest? Like if I lost 10 more pounds or if I gained 10 more pounds or if I went one more month without or if, if I could get past this temptation, if I could be more like this person, if my business was like Joe's business, then I'd be happy. Like, we all have this proclivity to be and to want to be something that we're not. But I don't want us in that eagerness. Like, God has made us to, to strive and, and to work hard and, and then to rest. But in that working, I don't want us to forget that, that sometimes we get so consumed with who we're not and what we don't have that we miss what God is trying to do with who we are. We're, we're trying to get everything cleaned up. And we're trying to look just like Naaman's looking right now so that God can use us. And I just want you to know today that in my Bible and in the stories that I read about, that's not how God's chosen to use humanity. And I don't want us to wait until we try to get it all figured out to do that. So, but do we know what we really want? Like, here's Naaman. He's awesome. He's a stud. Pleasant, delightful, beautiful, feminine name, dude. And he, like, do we know what, do we know what we want, though? Because here's the secret, hidden beneath all of that fame and favor that Naaman had, hidden beneath the riches and the popularity, hidden beneath that glowing smile was something that if others were to find it out, would destroy Naaman's reputation. You're like, oh no, what's what's he doing? He's got like a drug deal going on in the castle. He's got something crazy going on. Throw up the next verse. Yeah, right here. The man was also 
a mighty warrior, but he was a leopard. You're like, all right, what's going on? So I want to talk to you a little bit about what this means for Naaman. Naaman, obviously he's got it going on. He's looked up to politically, culturally, all this is going on. But when he goes home at night and shuts the door, he's got an issue going on underneath the clothes, underneath the armor, underneath the facade, underneath the Facebook page that he's got going on. There are some issues going on at home that if we're found out would destroy Naaman's career. Because leprosy in this day was a horrible, horrible disease. I want to read to you what, what leprosy would do. Leprosy is, is deep-rooted in the bones of a body. It, appear, it appears in the flesh, but it will occur in the depths, in the joints and in the marrow of the body, resulting in the deterioration of the tissues between bones. The results are deformity, loss of feeling, and the fingers and toes will eventually fall off. In this day, this form was incurable and lasted until the victim would finally die, often by the invasion of other diseases because of the weakened condition. Some people would live for 20 to 30 years in this miserable condition until they slowly rotted away. Leprosy. Happy Sunday. You guys have a great Sunday afternoon. <laughs> leprosy was so, like, leprosy was bad. You get leprosy, not only does it mean, like, hey, you're going to start falling apart over there. But it means you are now not only facing a physical condition, you're facing a social condition because lepers would be cast away, right? They would be taken outside the city gates, put in these little camps of lepers to where they couldn't be around everybody else. It was a shameful thing. It was a, hey, you're contagious. You've obviously got some sin going on in your life. We don't want to be around it. So, so Naaman... The same guy that was turning heads out in the streets is now going back at home, shutting the door, and crying tears that no one knows about. He's saying, if they only knew what I had to go through, like fighting these battles for Syria, winning these wars, this is nothing compared to trying to undress at night with these wounds. And, and here's Naaman, right? Like we're... We see Naaman. We want to be like Naaman, but do we really know what, what it takes, what he's going through? Do we really know what that thing that we're looking up to is going to cost us? So, verse 2. Let's keep going. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served as Naaman's wife, or she served Naaman's wife. Sorry. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him. Of his leprosy. So interesting, Naaman, in all of his power and wealth, was in Syria, right next to Israel, their bordering countries, goes into Israel, takes captive this young girl, and she becomes a slave to Naaman's wife. So she's serving, she's helping bandage. Naaman is going out, fighting Israel, fighting these neighboring countries, comes back home, and it's this little Israeli girl that's having to bandage Naaman up. And she could have gone out, and she could have said, Naaman's a fake. Naaman's got leprosy. Put him away. Send him out. Take him. But what does she do? This girl's got character. She says, hey, look, if you'll go back to Israel, I know a dude who can help you. Like, this is, this is her biggest enemy. This is her, like, she's a slave to this guy. If, if you go back to where you, where you took me from, like, 
know that's a sore subject, but you know, you go back there where you stole me, thanks. Um, you can find healing. Naaman's like, Naaman's starting to kind of figure out that this is not a comfortable situation. So she would bandage, care, take care of Naaman. But I find it so interesting that God was using this girl in captivity to, fr- to free, to bring freedom to one of the most powerful men in this day. So if you're in a place in your life where you feel like you're too young or you don't have the job, you don't have the influence, I just want you to know that's probably, God's probably going to use you there if you let him. Because this girl could have said, well, I'm just a slave. I can't be used by God. God was using her to free the military leader. Crazy turn of events. Love how God works. But Naaman knows there's a cost. If he, if he does this, like, put yourself in Naaman's shoes. Do you want to be healed? Come on. Let's. Wow. A lot of people want to have leprosy. If you're Naaman, do you want to be healed? Like, yes. Thank you. Half of the room is now healed. The other half is not getting a third chance. So Naaman, is, he's got some consequences, though. Like, if, if he goes back to Israel, first of all, hello, that's embarrassing. Like, that would be like the United States beating a country in a war, winning in a war, and then having to go back to get, like, major help. And this is personal, because he knows if he goes back, he's going to have to sacrifice his reputation, his fame, potentially his, his marriage. What, what will the people in his military think of him like he's got to be strong he's got to be this military leader and now he's got to go back to the place that he took the girl captive and say hey uh just want to apologize for last time um also i need your help like that's that is that is a hard and embarrassing thing to do but what if god was using the visible affliction not affection what if he was using the visible pain on his body to reveal something internally that Naaman had going on. Just like leprosy. Leprosy is deep-seated on a cellular level, but it shows itself in this physical way that we can see it. And it's the same with sin in our life. It's easy to say, well, they've got this going on, they've got that. But really, there's something deeper that if they only knew about, they might understand us better. So the story continues. Naaman went to his master And told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So this is the king of Syria writing a letter to the king of Israel. You with me? Cool. Simple. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking it with him ten ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. That had to weigh a lot. I'm just saying that. And ten sets of clothing. This dude was bougie. He had some outfits. He was ready to, like, he, you know, you know when you travel with a friend and you're like, dude, you're spending the night for one night. <laughs> well, I don't know where we're going. <laughs> like, hello, Naaman's got some clothes. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, He tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me? I love how he's like, this is the king of of Syria. And he's like, why is this fella? I just picture him in this. Why is this fella sending someone to be cured of his leprosy? So you get the point. The king of Israel is offended that the king of a nation that just rampaged through Israel took this girl is now coming back and saying, hey, how... Just checking in, um, can we send over one of the captains in our military 
to meet with one of your one of your guys for healing. So the king's obviously thrown off. He thinks it's set up. He says, why are you trying to pick a fight with me? And so here's Naaman. He's defeated the Israelites. Now he's got to go back to Israel. But I joke about the clothing, but I want to make a side note that, you know, for him to take 10 sets of clothing, the Bible is really, really specific, right? The Bible has a reason for the detail. And I wonder, I don't have evidence for this. I haven't done like a, a scientific study on the outfit he wore that day. But I do wonder if, if, if the Bible is hinting at us that his physical condition had gotten to a point that was so severe that not only was he emotionally and socially desperate now, but his body was really starting to decay. Because in the later stages of leprosy, you're not wearing a white t-shirt. Okay, you follow me? Like you, It is not a comfortable thing. And I wonder if Naaman was so desperate in every aspect of his life that he was trying to bring all of his money, all of his horses and chariots to this prophet to say, Hey man, look, I'm, I'm normally powerful, but I need some help. Let's jump into verse 8. Verse 8 here. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him with this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah, the prophet's house. Then the prophet Elijah sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God. Notice Naaman's not like my God, his God. Naaman's still trying to figure this whole fate thing out. I thought he would wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. So here's Naaman, super powerful military leader. He's finally humbled, big word there humbled himself to come meet with this guy who could heal him. And what has he met with? A detour. He, he made an appointment with this prophet. With this, it, You've got an appointment with the biggest doctor. You know he can fix you. You know he can do it. You get there in his office, and the little assistant comes out with the clipboard. Hello, Caleb. So uh, the doctor wants you to go uh, somewhere else, go down to the Jordan River. Jump in the Jordan River and bathe, dip seven times, and you'll be healed. And Naaman went away angry. I can understand why. Like, he has brought all of his horses and chariots. He's brought everything. And here he is. He's met with a detour. So, have you ever showed up? I, I want to ask you this. Have you ever showed up somewhere? You've stepped out in obedience. You've humbled yourself. It was not a comfortable thing to do. And you're met with the detour. You thought God was going to show up. You're like, I know God's calling me to do this. I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know he's called me to do this. And you get there and it fails. I've, I've done that. You, you've tried to be obedient and the outcome doesn't work how you thought it was going to work out. So Naaman's frustrated. First of all, he doesn't believe in this God. He's given him one chance. And now he's, he's sent to the Jordan River, which is... Buffeted by about 40 miles, give or take, on each side of Israel. Israel's not that wide. And he's going down to this dirty river, the Jordan River. You think it's this grand, beautiful, like, I, I went to Israel. I saw the Jordan River. I crossed over it. And I thought, this is going to be like the beautiful Chattahoochee, the clear blue water. Like, there are going to be people in inner tubes 
taking communion. <laughs> like, you know, some, like, Jews having their things going on down here. And I get there, and, dude, guys, it looked like this. I mean, there were places where it was this wide, dark, dirty water. And in a nation where there were beautiful oceans and the Dead Sea and cliff sides where the prophet could have sent Naaman. Naaman said, you've got to go down to the lowest place in the middle of this place to find your healing. And I wonder if you've been waiting on God for a prayer, for a friend. You've been facing an accusation. You've been facing a, an issue and a problem. And you have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're wondering if God is ever going to show up and do what he's promised to be faithful and do. And that's carry you, carry you through it. Detour after detour. Some scholars actually believe that Naaman developed this sickness when he took captive the Israeli girl. Because that's where he had to go back to. The same place where he once displayed his pride, his power, was now where God was sending him back to find healing. Through humility. God will take you to your lowest point to heal you. He will use pain to heal you, to break the comfortable places of your life. We get comfortable with things that hurt us. See what that doesn't mean? We, we have eating addictions and temptations and harmful addictions that we keep turning to because they're comfortable, because we know them. But just because it's comfortable does not mean that God is going to use that to make you better. And he's saying, I want to lower you. I want to take you to an uncomfortable place where you may not like it. You, you may not be comfortable with this, but I'm going to use this place to do something amazing. So Naaman's like, I'm not doing this, dude. I'm done. We're going back. I'm done. I'm going to rot away and die. I'm not going to dip in the Jordan River. I didn't even meet with the prophet. And one of his, one of his guys speaks up and says, hey, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Like if he would have told you to do a jumping jack and you'd be healed, wouldn't you have done it? And basically he's saying, Naaman, don't stop. We need to head on down to the Jordan. So today on this Labor Day weekend, leprosy for you and I is that deep-seated issue that you pray to leave and it never does. It's that relationship that you long for and you never find or that relationship that you've, you're trying to get away from. It's the accusation. It's the temptation. It's the thing that's buried deep in your soul that you're trying to work through. But God is going to take you to a low, low place to heal you. He's not asking you to try harder. He's asking you to go lower and to be more humble. So Naaman's walking down to the Jordan. Each step thinking, I, I wonder if it'll ever be the same. I wonder if I'll ever have the friends. I wonder if I'll ever have that influence. I'm having to leave all that, right? Like at this point, his buddies are, are he's the small talk of the town. He's like, yeah, Naaman was a fake. Dude's falling apart. Like, He's weak, man. He, he could take these nations, but he's, he's sick and he's dying. I wonder if this is really going to do anything. I'm too close to turn back now, but what if this God doesn't come through? What if he doesn't heal me? And I want to take you back to verse 1 real quick. Because by him, this is the beginning of the story, the very beginning of the story. God lets it be known. Because by Naaman, the Lord, I have given victory to the nations. Because by Naaman, because of this guy. This was before everyone else knew that Naaman was sick. Before everyone else knew that he was hiding something. God said, I am going to use this man. God used Naaman even when he was broken. God saw him all along. 
And I came here today to tell you that God doesn't just see Naaman. He sees you too. Your greatest insecurity, your greatest, the pain that you try so hard to hide, the heartbreak, the failure, he sees it too. And not just at the end when you're healed and when you're fixed and when you've dipped seven times like Naaman was and you're healed, but he sees it the entire time. And faith is when you have confidence, just like Naaman, to step out and to go down to the Jordan River. When you have the faith to let everything fall apart. I heard a quote that faith is a heart relaxed. It is a heart reclined is the word it used. And I just picture just breathing and just sitting back. Whatever anxiety is coming up over me, whatever struggle or, or disease it is I'm facing, I just recline my heart and go, I'm going to trust God, trust that he's going to heal me. Naaman's greatest disease was not what was on his skin, but it's what was in his heart. And God decided to use the external circumstances to heal an internal issue. So today, I want you to know that no matter what, God knows your deepest insecurity. He sees your greatest fear, the fear that keeps you up at night that you don't want to tell people about. He's been on this journey long before you even knew who he was. He's been praying for you when you didn't even know the words to pray for yourself. He's been there when you've been broken. He knows your brokenness. He knows your temptations and proclivities. He knows what you've been given, and he also knows what you've lost. He's seen the people that have walked out on you. He's seen the way that you've been betrayed. He's seen the way others have talked about you. He's seen the way they treated you. He's been with you through your greatest pain. He's seen your tears, and he's willing to dry your eyes if you'll trust him. But I just want to ask you, when you're tempted to say, well, if they only knew what I'd been through. If they only knew. When you're, next time you're tempted to do that, I want you to think about what God has to say. When he sent his son to the cross to die for the, the mistakes you would make, for the problems that you would create. He's saying the same thing to us this morning. Sunday, Labor Day weekend right here in North Atlanta. You know, what? if you only knew how much I cared about you, maybe the pain of going down to the Jordan wouldn't be so hard. Maybe the pain of humbling yourself wouldn't be so hard. If you only knew how much I cared for you, will you trust him with that this morning? You see, all over this place today, we can trust that we have a God that not only sees us. He's not just with us, but he understands us. And even in our temptation to say, if they only knew, we must remind ourselves that someone does know. Someone, in fact, does know us, and he still loves us. Someone that will never walk out on us or give up when we lock ourselves in isolation. Hiding it beneath fear and shame. A someone that chose us and still chooses us today. Someone that we can know and trust this morning. Someone that has been with us since the beginning. And someone that will be with us in the very end. That's the God we worship. The God that sees us. And the God that knows us. And the God that still loves us. So I don't know what it is you face today. But I'm asking you to lean in 
to get a little uncomfortable and to go down a little bit lower. And he might begin to, to remove some of those painful things as he teaches you something beautiful. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So God, I thank you for your faithfulness to always pursue us, to always seek after us when we're hiding behind a closed door trying to bandage our wounds. I pray that you would knock the door down and find us today. I pray that if there's anyone in here and they have hidden a great hope or a great prayer down beneath failure, that you would raise that call, you would call that prayer back out through failed attempts, through shame, and that you would give us courage to ask again, to go back to that place, to be humble and to see you move in a mighty way. Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing in the lives of every individual here. And I'm, I'll never see everything that you do, but I trust that your word will carry it out until it's finished. I pray that the words today will not just inspire us to knowledge, but that they would carry us to action. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Would you walk with us? Would you teach us and continue to show us and mold us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.